Welcome to Pathways. I'm your host, Daniel McCormack, Head of Research at Macquarie Asset Management. Joining me today is MAM's Global Infrastructure Strategist, Ajan Meldebeck, the lead author of our latest Pathways paper. It's an interesting piece of work that brings new clarity and insight into the nature of asset valuations in the infrastructure space. And before we begin, we've included a link to the paper in today's show notes, which is available for download on a limited basis to listeners who are professional or institutional investors. So take a look at that if you're interested. So Aijan, firstly, congratulations on the paper. I, I know it has sparked a lot of interest and discussion from clients and you've received some excellent feedback on it. So, so well done. Thank you, Daniel. And it's great to be here. Perhaps we could start with, you know, why this particular paper and line of research? So at a high level, what, what were your objectives in writing it? So I think the main objective of writing this paper was to provide infrastructure investors with more data, more tools, and more insights into the asset class. Uh, it's, it's not a secret that compared to other asset classes, infrastructure is more nascent and there is just less information available on the market. Of course, there are several total return indices out there, but there is still very limited information on the drivers behind these returns. And uh, one of the questions that we want to understand in this paper, so how much has multiple expansion contributed to these returns over the past decade? It is an important question, as we know that most equities have benefited from the low interest rate environment, and it is a, even more important in a, in a changing uh, economic cycle. Um, what we also want to do is to provide a framework uh, for thinking about how valuations may evolve in the coming years and what are the key macroeconomic drivers behind. Yeah, I know from talking to a lot of infrastructure investors that one of their frustrations just is the lack of data available to analyze the asset class. So, you know, I think this, this paper really sort of expands the frontier in that respect. So, so fantastic. Could, could you just perhaps talk us through the valuation series that, that you developed? So could you just explain to listeners how you, how you built it and what data you used? Yes, sure. So um, I think I should clarify from the start to our listeners that what we mean by valuations in this context and in this paper. Uh, so when we say valuations, we, we actually refer to EVA, BTA, transaction multiples. So in other words, the prices that buyers paid for infrastructure assets in the market. And the way we approached it is that we collected a large data set of transaction multiples, which covers more than 1,000 deals, and constructed a time series, uh, ensuring it's sufficiently diversified by sector, by region, and is representative of the market. So this way, we were able to construct a monthly time series that goes back 15 years uh, in history, from January 2008 to December 2022. And it covers two global recessions and two recoveries. So the source of our data, uh, so most of the data comes from our internal trusted databases uh, that relies on deal expertise and market knowledge gathered through that period. And uh, perhaps one important point to make here is that using multiples um, to assess a single transaction is an oversimplification, but using a sufficiently large data set can actually provide uh, valuable insights uh, at an asset class level. Yeah, often bottom-up investors over or underestimate uh, the influence of, of macroeconomic factors, which is which is really where the value of looking at multiples can, can come from, particularly through, through full cycles. 
Great. So one of the one of the key sort of questions I think in investors' minds out there is, you know, did infrastructure benefit disproportionately from the low interest rate environment that prevailed after the GFC? So I think there's there's sort of a, a widely held perception that, you know, while all asset classes did benefit from that period in terms of multiple expansion, infrastructure benefited more than most. Is that true? I think this perception that private infrastructure valuations increased beyond the levels justified by fundamentals is the result of the lack of data. Uh, Since historically there wasn't such data available, uh, a lot of this perception was built on individual transactions and single data points that caught attention. However, when we use a large number of deals, uh, this may not be the case, actually. So according to our initial estimates, infrastructure has benefited in the period of the low interest rate environment, but not substantially more than other equities. So in fact, our preliminary findings suggest that it's the earnings growth that has been the bigger driver of returns. And we are now working on our next paper that aims to investigate in more detail revenues, margins, earnings uh, of infrastructure and what's behind them. That's fascinating because I think it is a a very widely held belief out there in the investor community that, you know, infrastructure is kind of a a play on on low interest rates. But, you know, as you you point out in this paper, it just hasn't benefited sort of disproportionately more than than, than other equity. Um, And and most of the value is coming from earnings. So sort of fundamental in a sense. Fantastic. Um, the other thing you did in the paper, I noticed, is you, you developed a cap rate for infrastructure. Now, cap rate is a metric commonly used in the real estate space. So, so could you just sort of explain to listeners like what what you did here, and and was the aim to enable real estate investors to assess infrastructure on a like for like basis? Is that is that sort of the motivation behind calculating this cap rate? Yes. Yeah, so uh, historically. It, it wasn't quite possible to compare infrastructure valuations to real estate because the two asset classes use different metrics. So real estate is not typically valued using standard equity metrics, but rather, um, as, as you mentioned, a capitalization rate, uh, commonly referred as, uh, to as cap rate. Therefore, what we have done is that we introduced a new metric, um, an implied infrastructure cap rate, as an additional tool for investors to compare uh, infrastructure and real estate on a like-for-like basis. So this is more of a tool for real estate investors uh, to view infrastructure using uh, from, from a familiar uh, perspective. And in the paper, we provide a detailed formula on how to calculate an infrastructure cap rate. But in a nutshell, uh, it relies relies on estimating maintenance capex as a percentage of APTA and applying this to an inverse of the EV APTA multiple. And the maintenance cap rate, sorry, maintenance capex numbers, where did you get those from? Uh, So this is based on uh, the knowledge of deals and sectors that we gathered uh, through talking and going through this in detail with our uh, deal teams. Yeah, and I guess, you know, we being the sort of biggest infrastructure manager in the world, we, we have some pretty good coverage out there. So I guess those estimates are going to be as, as good as you're likely likely to see. Um, yeah, very interesting. Okay. Let's let's turn to what some of the main macroeconomic drivers of infrastructure infrastructure multiples are. 
So, Ajahn, could you just talk us through, you know, the headline findings in your paper on this? Yeah, so um, after running a number of regressions against macroeconomic variables, our conclusion is that the key drivers behind infrastructure multiples are interest rates and inflation. And I, I can describe uh, the results a little more here. So we found out that there is a negative relationship between interest rates and infrastructure valuation. Uh, it's, it's not surprising given that interest rates put downward pressure on valuations due to higher discount rates. But when it comes to inflation, there is a positive relationship between inflation and infrastructure valuation. Uh, the reason is that many infrastructure assets have a link between inflation and their revenue line. So when inflation rises, it can provide an uplift not only to current earnings, but um, to future cash flows due to higher inflation expectations. Uh, it may also be the case that uh, investors' demand for assets that offer an inflation hedge increases uh, in periods when inflation is high. So since inflation and interest rates are linked between each other, there is a somewhat offsetting impact of, this, of these two forces. But essentially, our analysis uh, suggests that these are the two main drivers behind valuation multiples for infrastructure. And, and quantitatively, which one is stronger? Is it, is it interest rates or is it inflation? Interest rates tend to be um, stronger, but again, it depends to say for sure, it depends what periods, whether the data is quarterly or annual, um, and how the regression was constructed. But overall, like for, for all other equities, interest rate is um, is a stronger driver. It's just for infrastructure, there is also inflation that may offset that impact. Yeah. And what about GDP growth? Did you find any relationship between GDP growth and valuation multiples? Because people are very worried about recessions at the moment, you know, across the developed world. So I guess I'm thinking, could that have an impact on valuation multiples? Actually, the analysis with GDP growth resulted uh, that the coefficient is not statistically significant. What it means is that uh, multiple is unlikely to be under pressure during the recession. However, the total return may still be impacted for those assets where there is a linkage between earnings and GDP growth. Yeah, and that's likely to be the case for you know a decent portion of of the infrastructure space. Not all of it by any means, but certainly a lot of transport assets will have an earnings link uh, to to GDP growth. So, yeah, understand your point that it impacts returns, but uh, but not necessarily through the multiple. Got it. Okay, and then and then what about this dry powder issue? Because one of the things I often hear from investors as well is, is just concern about the enormous amount of dry powder that's perceived to be out there for the asset class. And, and of course, the worry that this has pushed, uh, pushed asset managers to deploy and to be aggressive in auctions and to possibly push up valuation multiples. Uh, what, what, what evidence do you find on, on that score? Well, the dry powder has indeed been growing strongly in infrastructure over the last 10 to 15 years. But what is important is that the deal activity and the growth of the asset class has also been strong. So when we look at it from 2008 to 2022, dry powder has been growing uh, at a CAGR of 11.7%, while the deal volumes have also been increasing 
at 11.1%. So the growth has been very similar. And as a ratio of dry powder to zeal activity, uh, it has been largely stable. So it was oscillating, but it doesn't show an upward trend. Um, and also using our uh, evaluation time series, we've run a large number of regressions against dry powder and fundraising levels uh, using both quarterly and annual data. And we've also used data lagged up to eight quarters. However, data didn't show statistical significance that dry powder contributed to high evaluations. So what it means is that um, infrastructure is a rapidly expanding asset class. And the amount of dry powder has been growing largely in line with the expanding opportunity set in, in the space. Could it also be a sign of investment committee discipline? You know, in that despite the sort of rapid amount of money that's been coming in, understand your point that it's only grown in line with transaction volumes, but, but still there's been a lot of money coming in. You know, ICs haven't certainly, if there has been pressure for them to deploy they certainly haven't done so, uh, you know, in a way that is that is pushed up sort of valuation multiples above their above what would be justified by fundamentals. Is that is that fair to say? Well, it's it's difficult to say for all investment committees across infrastructure managers, but I think there were lots of lessons learned during the GFC, and it has brought a lot of discipline to the asset class in the in the past cycle. Um, so I would I would largely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I take your point that you can't um you know, you can't say for, for all asset managers of, of of course, but um but perhaps there has been some some IC discipline in there, which is which is commendable, right? Um so ICs are kind of kind of doing their job in terms of protecting investors and protecting returns and, and not paying too much for assets. Great. Okay, let's um, let, let's turn to sort of the outlook from here, because I know in your paper, you, you look at the outlook for valuation multiples and you do some scenario analysis to try to work out where you think multiples are likely to go. Could we perhaps, perhaps talk about that? So, so what were the sort of three scenarios that you looked at in this paper? Yeah, so we, we discuss uh, in the paper, we discuss in detail with assumptions, um, the three different scenarios. I think the main conclusion here is that across all scenarios, we see a downward pressure on valuations this year and probably also going into early 2024. Now with inflation cooling down across many developed world economies, um, I think the main uncertainties are around how quickly inflation falls and what actions central banks decide to take. In my view, if inflation falls sharply and central banks cut, cut interest rates sooner than the markets currently expect, valuations would rebound in 2024. However, if inflation moderates, but interest rates remain at a structurally higher level than what we observed in the previous decade, there is potentially a longer period of downward pressure, which may last over the uh, coming 12 to 18 months. Yeah, I mean, it seems like central banks are starting to to sort of peak out in terms of interest rates at the moment. I mean, there's there's market expectations that the Bank of England has got a little bit more to do, uh, the ECB uh, a little bit more to do, and maybe the Fed sort of sort of one more. Um, but you know, most of the tightening now now seems to be behind us. 
And, you know, I, I hear you that, that inflation is certainly on a downward trend. I guess I sort of worry how low will it go, as in the inflation seems to be very sticky, core inflation is still high, not really showing any downtrend services inflation, still rising actually in, in most countries. So I just wonder whether, you know, inflation might fall a bit, but not get back to sort of the 2% targets that uh, central banks uh uh, focus on and, and investors are used to, and I, I just wonder if you know if, if if interest rates start to flatten out and inflation's kind of three four percent. Um, I mean, what do you think that would do to valuations? Would it would it would it keep them at a reasonable level? I know you didn't model this in the paper, but what what do you think that would do? I think a lot depends um, on where the interest rates will be in the end. So if we have entered the new economic regime where it's just high interest rates required to keep inflation under control. It it may be a very, very different world than what we were in the previous decade. But this environment would simply be more challenging for all other equity asset classes. And the question is um, how much inflation can support, high inflation can support infrastructure valuations. But I think overall, a new regime would require um, more asset management work and less reliance on the multiple expansion that we saw historically. Yeah, that's certainly true. And, and I guess I wonder for other asset classes how much inflation provides a tailwind to multiple. So, so we, you know, we we sort of know it does, if you like, within the infrastructure space. Or your research certainly suggests uh, that it does provide a tailwind, but. You know, would, would it provide a tailwind for, for PE? Would it provide a tailwind for listed equities? I don't know, but I, I suspect less so because that inflation link sort of between the revenue and the earnings on the one side and inflation on the other, it's probably less tight for those other asset classes than it is for, for infrastructure. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, I, I, I would tend to agree that there is a stronger linkage between inflation and infrastructure uh, revenues rather than for other other types of equity. Yeah. And that just leads investors to, to kind of focus on it as an inflation hedge. So, so money flows into it in an environment where inflation is high and that that just keeps uh keep keeps returns and, and valuation multiples um high higher um all else being equal. That brings us to the end. Thanks very much, Ajan. I mean it's 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 a fantastic paper. I think it's really exciting stuff for investors in infrastructure. So thank you very much for talking us through that today. Thank you for having me. For listeners, if you're interested in receiving the Pathways paper or just have questions or ideas you'd like to share, please reach out to your Macquarie representative or drop us an email at mampodcast@macquarie.com. Otherwise, thanks everyone for listening and please consider subscribing to the show on your favourite podcast platform. Until next time. This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial 
financial service. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only, and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objective will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation, and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy of completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group. Macquarie Asset Management is a full-service asset manager offering a diverse range of products across public and private markets, including fixed income, equities, multi-asset solutions, private credit, infrastructure, renewables, natural assets, real estate, and asset finance. The public investment business is a part of Macquarie Asset Management and includes investment products and advisory services distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates, which include Delaware Distributors, LP, a registered broker slash dealer and member of the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and Macquarie Investment Management Business Trust, a Securities and Exchange Commission registered investment advisor. Investment advisory services are provided by a series of MIMBT. Macquarie Group refers to Macquarie Group Limited and its subsidiaries and affiliates worldwide. Delaware Funds by Macquarie refers to certain investment solutions that Macquarie Asset Management Public Investments distributes, offers, refers, or advises. Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, any Macquarie Group entity noted in this podcast is not an authorized deposit-taking institution for the purposes of the Banking Act 1959. The obligations of these other Macquarie Group entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank. Macquarie Bank does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these Macquarie Group entities. In addition, if this podcast relates to an investment, the investor is subject to investment risk, including possible delays in repayment and loss of income and principal invested, and none of the Macquarie Bank or any other Macquarie Group entity guarantees any particular rate of return on or the performance of the investment, nor do they guarantee repayment of capital in respect of the investment.